All right, well, that's not distracting. Uh, <laughs> 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 <Woo-hoo>! <laughs> All right, Acts chapter 6, verses 8 to 15. Before we get into the message today, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Lord, we do thank you uh, for this wonderful body. We thank you for uh, this wonderful congregation. We thank you for our mothers, Lord, uh, for their, their love and for the legacy that they leave. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your word. And uh, as we dive in today to uh, the story of Stephen, uh, we pray that there are things for us to learn here uh, as Stephen confronted his enemies. And Lord, we will have our own enemies to confront. And uh, may you open our hearts to receive this word today. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, uh, you know, after World War II ended, uh, there was the rise of something called the Cold War, right? As hostilities between the United States and, and Russia uh, increased, Uh, because we had the bomb, right? And then uh, just later in 1949, uh, Russia exploded their own uh, atomic bomb. And so now the pressure was on because both sides uh, had the bomb. And and so you had this rising tension between the the, uh, United States and the Soviet Union. And uh, later, after the, uh, after the Russians exploded their own bomb, then uh, there was uh, wars in, in uh, China, for example. There was a civil war, and the uh, communist-backed uh, side of the civil war in China, they won the day, and the People's Republic of China was formed, and that was a communist uh, government. And then uh, North Korea, which was Soviet-backed, invaded South Korea, which was pro-Western, and we entered the conflict on the uh, side of South Korea. And so you have this heightening tension between uh, the U.S. and Russia, fear, mistrust, uh, paranoia, uh, who's going to drop the bomb first, uh, all these things, uh, these factors existed, which gave rise uh, to a man named uh, Senator Joe McCarthy from uh, Wisconsin. Uh, And he uh, rose to prominence and national fame at some speech that he gave uh, where he lifted this piece of paper and he waved it and he said, I have the names here of 205 people who are working for the U.S. government, who are communists. They've infiltrated our government and they are uh, using propaganda and they are helping to uh, have a Russian policy uh, infiltrate our United States government. And so there was a Senate subcommittee that was immediately appointed to investigate these matters and they found no evidence of communism, no evidence of any kind of subversion, but yet at the same time, uh, McCarthy was able to prey on the fears of Americans and, and maintain his power and he was appointed a few years later Uh, as the chairman of uh, this group called the Committee on Government Operations. And this gave him great power to investigate, uh, dig into people's lives and uh, issue subpoenas and make people come and testify. And he would uh, vigorously uh, uh, question, interrogate witnesses and intimidate witnesses and and scare them half to death. And and by the time he was done, uh, some 2,000 government members uh, had lost their jobs, even though there was very little evidence that they had actually been communists. And everybody was afraid to stand up to him because as soon as you stood up, well, then you were a communist and you were going to be investigated. And the people who were in government didn't want their own constituents, the people who put them in office, to think that they were soft on communism. So McCarthy uh, had his day. Eventually, uh, the movement died out as he came to be discredited. But for the time being, McCarthy had found a hot-button issue And he preyed on the fears of Americans uh, and the paranoia that existed at the time of communists uh, to really stir up a whole lot of trouble. And and there was this mass mob mentality in the U.S. that we have to root out these communists. And when you have fear uh, mixed with a mob mentality, 
Well, then truth uh, and justice and facts, they get thrown to the wind. Uh, it's the fear uh, that prevails. And so we're going to see the same thing as we come to this story of uh, the Sanhedrin uh, versus Stephen. Uh, and today we're just going to look at the prosecution. Uh, opposition from the Jews against the Christians uh, was mounting. It was becoming more significant. And, and uh, they had been unable to convict uh, the apostles in, in these two prior trials that they had had. Remember, Peter and John uh, stood before the Sanhedrin uh, and they walked away with a warning. And then all of the apostles stood before the Sanhedrin a little bit later and they were flogged, but they weren't killed and the movement wasn't ceased in the least bit. They went out preaching the gospel, uh, notwithstanding the fact that they had been flogged. And so uh, we read last week that many of the Jews, even their priests, uh, were becoming believers, and that was a real cause for alarm as uh, their own people, the Jewish priests, were starting to turn uh, towards Christianity and, and fear now that Christians were speaking out against the law and speaking out against the temple uh, really was raising concern, and this thing was a powder keg uh, that was about to be lit. And so uh, as we come to the story of Stephen, as he comes up against the Sanhedrin now with two trials in the rearview mirror, and uh, uh, lots of Christian uh, growth uh, against, these, uh, against what the Jews were teaching, uh, we have a big problem that is about to explode. And so as we think about this, uh, my question is, what do we do uh, when the world is against us? Uh, how do we behave when the world comes at us and challenges our thinking? Uh, what do we say when we are challenged by the people who don't like our message? And Stephen provides a very strong biblical example for how we are supposed to stand firm uh, in the face of adversity, in the face of an increasingly hostile uh, society to the Christian message. And so we'll see that this week. Uh, as we go through this story, I want you to notice the parallels uh, in Stephen's trial and the trial of Jesus. As we go through, you're going to notice a lot of things. Uh, I hope what you'll see is... One more, Troy. That there are false witnesses uh, in both trials. And both uh, trials mentioned, uh, Jesus and Stephen both mentioned the temple's destruction. Uh, they were both charged with blasphemy. They were both made to testify before the high priest. Uh, they both committed their spirits to God. They both asked God to forgive the people who were killing them. And they both died outside the city. So as we go through this story this week and next week, you're going to see all of these parallels. And it's amazing how the same things that they did to Stephen, uh, they did to Jesus as well. So uh, let's start in with the story. We're going to read verses 8 to 9. And we're going to see that there is no shortage of enemies of the gospel. Uh, verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from, some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. So we were just uh, introduced to this man, Stephen, in the beginning of chapter 6. Uh, he was appointed to serve uh, these Hellenistic widows because he had the two qualities that the apostles uh, talked about, which was that he would have... Uh, uh, he, have wisdom, and be full of the Holy Spirit. So uh, he had those two things. And, and then on top of that, God gave him additional things. He gave him grace, and he gave him power so that he could do these signs and wonders. And so when we think about grace, 
we often think about grace in terms of saving grace, right? Which we've all received when we are saved. But, but this is a different kind of grace. This is a special grace, special favor given to him so that he might have the power to do these signs and wonders. And these signs and wonders he did uh, were authenticating the message that he preached. And as he's going about preaching this message, he encounters opposition uh, from a group of people called the Synagogue of Freedmen. And we can tell some things about who they were just by their title. Obviously, they're Jews because they are part of a synagogue. And a synagogue, of course, is composed of Jews, and, and synagogues uh, were places of, of gathering where they would uh, worship, where they would pray, and, and synagogues became the, the center of uh, Jewish cultural life. And so you have a, a bunch of Jews who come out, and they're called the synagogue of the freedmen, which is interesting because uh, most scholars think that, that these people, they had been freed from slavery, and most uh, scholars think that they happened to be uh, enslaved by the Roman emperor Pompey uh, in, and then freed in 63 BC. So these were uh, the descendants of these people who had been freed. And we also know something about where they were from. We know they're from Hellenistic areas because of where they're from. They're from uh, Cyrene and they're from Alexandria. So if you look on this map here on the next slide, uh, you can see that uh, they come back, back a couple. All right, I don't know what happened. There, uh, they have Israel is is to the east, and you have uh, south uh, of northern Africa is uh, to the southwest uh, of Israel, and Alexandria and Cyrene are in northern Africa, and then you have Cilicia, which is directly north in what would be present day. Uh, Turkey today, and that's part of what is called Asia Minor today. And, and so uh, the, these, these freedmen came from all around Israel, uh, and they were not uh, necessarily from Israel. They were Hellenistic Jews. They, they were uh, people who of, were of Greek descent. And so uh, even Paul, in fact, was from Cilicia. Uh, so it may be that even Paul was part of this synagogue of the freedmen. Uh, we don't know that, but it's interesting because of the way we see this synagogue of freedmen go attacking Stephen the way they did. And then we know that Paul went out and attacked Christians the same way when he came on the scene. So uh, it could be that this was just the, the, the ministry philosophy of this synagogue was to at attack and persecute Christians. Uh, and it just goes to show that there will always be opposition to the gospel. And, and here it comes from the synagogue of freedmen. And that tells us that sometimes opposition will come from people who are just like us. You know, it may seem strange that Stephen is a Hellenistic Jew, and here are a bunch of Hellenistic Jews that are coming after him instead of it being maybe Hebraic Jews who, who would take issue with him. Uh, but, you know, it kind of makes sense when you think about it because uh, Stephen is a Greek-speaking Jew, so he's probably hanging out with the Greek-speaking Jews and, and spending time in their areas. Uh, and he's performing these signs and wonders in a, in a Greek synagogue uh, among his very own people, the people that he knows best. And up till now, the apostles only had to contend with Jewish authorities, right? They, were, they found themselves before the Sanhedrin. But now uh, it's the regular people, just the run-of-the-mill people who are going to start opposing this Christian message. Uh, and it's not only regular people, it's Stephen's own people, his very own people, the people that he came from. And so, you know, performing signs and wonders is not something that's going to get him in trouble, right? When, when we've seen it up till now in Acts, 
performing signs and wonders means healing, right? And nobody's going to complain about healing. Everybody wants to be healed. It was his message that was getting him in trouble. They did not like the message that he preached. So uh, they were happy to take the healing, but they didn't want to hear what he had to say. And so we see that in verse 9, that it says that he, they rose up uh, to challenge him. And Stephen was just trying to witness to his own people. And isn't it always hardest to try and witness to our own people, right? The people we know the best, our families, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers. And it's always most difficult to take rejection from these people who are closest to us, right? Strangers, it's not so bad to be rejected by. But when your family and friends reject you, well, that's a whole lot harder. And, and these are the people that you have the opportunity to share the gospel with. And you love them, so you want to share the gospel with them. And when they reject you, uh, that's a difficult thing. Uh, but it shows us that opposition is most often going to come to the, from the people who we are closest to, just like we see uh, in the story of Stephen. He's come out of Hellenistic Judaism. He's trying to share the gospel with his own people, and it's these very people now who are persecuting him. Why couldn't they understand the message that he was trying to give them? Well, it's because he was full of the Holy Spirit and grace and faith and power, and they were not. And so that's the big difference. They were unable to understand his message uh, because they just didn't have the Holy Spirit. And Stephen found out uh, from his enemies that when logic and reason uh, cannot win the day. His enemies were not able to stand up to his logic and reasoning. Then we quickly degenerate into name-calling and violence, which is always the progression uh, when, you're, when you're winning a debate against somebody. Then if they can't beat you, then they call you names, and then if they have to, it can resort to physical violence, and, and we see that. Uh, you know, every year during Holy Week, Molly likes to post some uh, evangelistic messages on Facebook. And it's funny, uh, in a sad kind of way, how quickly... Uh, a simple truth that Molly might state on Facebook degenerates into name-calling, and uh, uh, it's just kind of sad when you think about it, because they can't understand the wisdom that we have through the Holy Spirit. Uh, it quickly degenerates into something that was never intended, and we're just trying to proclaim the gospel. Uh, sometimes you end up uh, being fiercely opposed. Uh, they don't have the Holy Spirit, and when you don't have the Holy Spirit, you can expect opposition and misunderstanding. And that brings me to my next point, which is that your opponents may not always fight fair. So let's read verses 10 through 12. But they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came up and dragged him away and brought him before the council." You know, I wish that Luke had actually recorded the debate. I would love to hear uh, what was being said, what actually was being said, that these guys just could not deal with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and of Stephen. But uh, Luke doesn't tell us anything. He only says that they were unable to cope uh, with the wisdom and with the Holy Spirit. And of course, uh, Stephen being filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom would be very difficult for any unbeliever to be able uh, to cope with. Uh, but it shows us that the Holy Spirit is faithful to give us the words that we need. Uh, in Matthew chapter 18, uh, next slide, Troy, uh, he said, You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. So you have the Holy Spirit just confounding 
these witnesses, and they have no idea how to handle the wisdom of Stephen. And this again reminds us of the prayer that the apostles prayed uh, back in Acts chapter 4. Remember when they prayed, a God, uh, please continue to do these signs and wonders through our hands by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and please give us the wisdom and the courage and the boldness to keep praying uh, and preaching the word that you have given us. And we see both of these things being answered here as, as Stephen is performing these signs and wonders and he's standing before these people boldly proclaiming the gospel by himself. Remember that. He's by himself and the Sanhedrin, which we're about to encounter, 70 people in the Sanhedrin. So he's standing there alone against all of these people. Uh, so it shows us that God held up his end of the bargain in giving them these signs and wonders and giving them the boldness. And, and Stephen and the apostles held up their end as well. It shows us that we don't need to be afraid to speak the truth. The Holy Spirit will give us the words that we need to say when we need to say them. But we also see that opposition may uh, escalate to not only slander, but also to violence. And when they were not able to cope with the power of the Holy Spirit, well, then what happened? They secretly induced men to say, we heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And of course, you can't charge anybody with something more serious than that. Uh, to, to, to blaspheme Moses and to blaspheme God is pretty much uh, going to get you in a whole lot of trouble. Uh, and so the word uh, for secretly induced in the Greek is the word hupabalo. And what it means is that they actually gave them the words to say. Not that they uh, merely asked them to, to speak falsely. They told them uh, exactly what to say. And so on the one hand, you have Stephen who's being given the words by the Holy Spirit to speak truth. And on the other hand, you have these false witnesses who are being produced by these wicked men uh, getting people to speak falsehood. And you can see the juxtaposition between the truth of the Holy Spirit and the lies of men here. It's a full-blown conspiracy at this point. Uh, men trying to take down other men. Uh, the men give the witnesses lies to say. And you can detect the mob mentality uh, as it grows here, right? Stephen is preaching. Uh, and he's teaching these, these uh, Hellenistic Jews, and it might be two or three or four or five, we don't know how many, but you can imagine that the argument got a little loud, and of course, uh, as volume increases, people come to see what's going on, and more and more people oppose Stephen, and he finds himself standing alone against this mob, and you have these, uh, this mob inciting the crowd against Stephen, and here we see that we have the scribes getting involved, those are Pharisees, we have the elders getting involved. Those are Sadducees, so it's the regular people. It's the scribes, it's the Pharisees. The whole world is against Stephen now. And since they can't cope with him, they can't handle his wisdom, what do they do? They call him names, and then the slander leads to violence. They're not able to drag him down. Lies lead to slander, lead to violence, and so they drag him uh, before the whole Sanhedrin. And so we're about to have our third trial before the Sanhedrin in the book of Acts, the first two before, uh, or the, the apostles, and now Stephen standing alone before these guys. And what we'll see here is that Christianity is offensive to those without ears to hear. So let's move on to the next slide and read uh, those verses. Chapter 6, verses 13 through 15. Next slide, Troy. They put forward false witnesses who said, This man speaks incessantly against this holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Nazarene, Jesus, will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. And fixing 
their gaze on him. All who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. You know, when I used to practice law, it was in Bergen County, New Jersey, and if you filed a lawsuit, you would be lucky if you could get to court for a trial in three years. Typically, it was closer to five. Uh, here, it seems like this angry mob was able to get before the high court of the land in about three minutes, right? Uh, but this was the powder keg that they were sitting on. They wanted Christianity squashed, and so they're able to get before this whole assembled Sanhedrin, 71 members of this group. And uh, here we are, uh, Luke cuts in right to the middle of the trial. In the previous trials, uh, he talks about all the pomp and circumstance that the Sanhedrin entered into the, the assembly with. But here, uh, Luke's, Luke just picks up the details right in the middle uh, of the trial. And, and these false witnesses are now going to give details about the charge that they made in chapter 11. This man constantly speaks blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And it's interesting that these guys are called false witnesses. Uh, I don't think they invented everything that Stephen said. I think Stephen was going around preaching uh, words similar to what they said, but they were taking the words and they were twisting them uh, to say something that Stephen meant to, not to say, just like they did to Jesus. Jesus said things and they twisted his words and made the words say things that, that Jesus never said. Uh, the witnesses said, we have heard him say that this Nazarene Jesus will destroy this place and alter the customs that Moses handed down to us. So chapter 7, of course, is the long speech that Stephen gives in his defense. And if we're going to understand all the things that Stephen is saying in that speech, we have to understand these charges uh, that the Sanhedrin now is making against him. Uh, they charged him with blaspheming against God's house and God's word. So that's blaspheming against the temple and blaspheming against the law. And that's, of course, a very serious charge. Uh, but I want to think about what Stephen was actually saying, what he was actually teaching these people. So let's talk about the temple first. Uh, you'll remember that in John 2.19, uh, next slide, there it is, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Jesus, of course, never said that he would destroy the temple. He was not threatening the temple. He was speaking hypothetically, if this temple is destroyed in three days, I will raise it up. But then John clarified the whole situation and said, look, he wasn't even talking about the physical temple. He was talking about the temple that was his body. But at Jesus' trial, they took these words that he said and they twisted them to make it seem like he was a threat to Israel, a threat to their temple, and a threat to their customs and traditions, which he never said. Jesus was talking about his supremacy over the temple, not the fact that he had any issue with the temple itself. And that's why he said on the next slide, I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. He's just saying, uh, you put so much stock in the temple, but I am greater than the temple. I'm the one you're waiting for. Don't put your hope in the temple. They put so much help, uh, hope in the temple that they were missing the God of the temple. And they were putting so much hope in the temple that they were missing the Messiah that was promised because they, their hope was in the temple. They made an idol out of the temple. And I wonder, you know, did, did these Jews have such short memories? Did they not remember uh, only five centuries ago uh, that their temple, the Temple of Solomon, was completely destroyed by Babylon because of their continued idolatry uh, and their lack of following God? Uh, did they really think that God would not destroy their temple again if they continued to be disobedient and to have hard hearts? 
And of course, we know from history that God did allow their temple to be destroyed a second time in 70 AD, just as Jesus predicted that not one stone would be left on another uh, when Rome destroyed that temple in AD 70. And Stephen is going to have much to say about uh, the temple and how they were putting too much stock in the temple in his uh, speech in Acts chapter 7. Now, what about the law? Uh, They accused Stephen of saying that Jesus would alter the customs that Moses had handed down to them. Uh, But Jesus never said anything bad about the law. Uh, Jesus had a problem with the Pharisees adding to the law, twisting the law, laying uh, layers of of additional requirements upon the law so that the law was no longer the law. Uh, That's what came to be called tradition. And that's what Jesus had a problem with. And in Mark chapter 7, verse 9, he said, uh, in the next slide, Jesus said to the Pharisees and scribes, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. See, he was never once disrespectful to the law, but he was always disrespectful to the Pharisaic traditions that contradicted the law and put their traditions above the commandment of God. In fact, Jesus said he was the fulfillment of the law, In the next slide, we see Matthew 5, 17. It says, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. So he came to fulfill the law. And we know that the Pharisees also charged him with not keeping the law himself, particularly the Sabbath. But in Luke 17, he says, It is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of the letter of the law to fail. So Jesus never said anything bad about the law, just tradition. He upheld the law at all costs. And I think Stephen was only going around merely repeating the things that Jesus said and the things that Jesus taught. Uh, He was trying to persuade his own people of Jesus's supremacy over the temple and over the law, trying to get them to believe in Jesus as their savior. Uh, He wanted them to know that Christ came to die for their sins and he rose from the dead so that they could have eternal life. And yet they took his words and twisted them to make something, uh, to, to make him say something that he wasn't saying and so that they could charge him with blasphemy, which was what they really wanted to do. So let's think as we get back to the actual trial. They had leveled these charges against Stephen. And now they're going to look intently uh, at his face. Uh, They fix their gaze on him. And this word is the same word used of uh, the apostles of of Jesus when they saw Jesus uh, ascend into heaven. Can you imagine how intently uh, they were looking at Jesus as he rose from the ground and into heaven? That's the way uh, these folks, the Sanhedrin, are looking at Stephen uh, as they see his face radiating, glowing like the face of an angel. I think Stephen was so filled with the Holy Spirit on the inside that it couldn't help but show up on the outside. Have you ever met people like that where you just come across people and they just look like they have the face of God and they are just happy. They radiate God's love. There are people like that that you come across in your life and uh, I wish my face radiated like that. I just see people and say, man, you can just tell that person is full of the Holy Spirit. And and that's what Stephen's face looked like. And so he's radiating this. And he, he looks like Moses when he came down from Mount Sinai with, with the face uh, radiating and glowing. And they're looking at this. And what's happening to them? They're full of hate. They're full of hardness of heart. 
They look at this man. Uh, they know that the Holy Spirit has come. They know that the Holy Spirit has healed the blind man. They've seen the apostles' courage. Now they see Stephen's courage, and yet they are still deaf to his words and blind to the things that they have seen, and they would not be swayed uh, from what they had planned to do. So when you are dealing with someone who has a hardened heart, you come across these people in your lives all the time. It doesn't matter what they see. It doesn't matter what they hear. Their hearts cannot be changed. They are hardened hearts. And uh, many of the men uh, in the Sanhedrin already knew about the power of the Holy Spirit, but they, they were just not moved by anything they saw. Uh, they were still blind and deaf to spiritual matters. And And they did not reject Stephen that day. On that day, they rejected Jesus. And when your people that you're evangelizing to, uh, they reject the message that you have to say, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. And that's because their hearts are hard. And so we see Jesus rejected here. And we're going to continue with the story next week uh, with with Stephen's trial. But next week, when we we get there, what we're actually going to see is that Stephen's testimony puts them on trial. They're the ones who didn't keep the law, and they're the ones who didn't honor the temple. And even though Stephen is standing alone against all of these guys, the wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit is still at work to give Stephen the words that he needs to actually, he he loses the trial because he's sentenced and he dies, but he wins the trial because his truth wins out the day. So we'll see that the next time we come back. So uh, up till uh, up to uh, or for this point now, let's just talk about some applications. And uh, the first thing I want us to see is that we should not be discouraged by unbelievers. When you wonder why you can't reach your lost family member, your lost friend, your lost neighbor, your coworker, remember that they are spiritually blind to the truth, and they are spiritually dead. They are spiritually unable to discern the spiritual truth that you are talking about. And they are unable to believe until the day that God opens their eyes. And yet we are still called to preach this message because we don't know when or if God will open that person's eyes. How many times did any of you hear the gospel before you came to believe it? For me, it was a lot of times. I heard the gospel a lot of times before I came to believe it. It was nonsense to me until the day that God opened my eyes, and then I could believe it and understand it. And so uh, when we believed, the gospel didn't change, right? We changed. God changed our hearts. And we don't know when God will do that for our friends or family members. So keep preaching to them. uh, Keep trying. uh, Keep asking God to give them eyes to see and ears to hear. But don't be discouraged by unbelievers. Here's the second thing. Resolve to love God no matter what. I think Stephen knew what was about to happen to him. This mob mentality was about to take over, and I think he knew that no matter what he said, he was going to die on this day. And yet, his face radiated like the face of an angel, and he, was, he just loved God even in the face of death and even while he was preparing to die for him. And it's easy for us when things are going well, when we have no need for God to do anything in our lives today, Uh, to love God, right? I mean, he's providing for our every need. Uh, I tend to love God more myself when I'm not facing adversity and when God's providing for my every need. Uh, And of course, I say that to my own shame, right? It's my own shame that I say that to. I want to love God with all my heart, 
all the time, no matter what I'm going through, whether it's uh, adversity or prosperity. But I tend to love him a little less, I think, when I'm disappointed with him for some reason, when something uh, didn't go my way. This week, uh, I faced some unexpected adversity. Uh, I own an apartment in New Jersey that I've been trying to sell for a long time. It's a financial albatross to me. Uh, and I had a contract on it, and I was so excited about it, and the contract fell through this week. And so now I'm starting all over again, and what went from uh, hope turned to some despair and some, some hopelessness even. And it's a, it, was, it was just a tough thing uh, to have happen to me. But uh, as I, it was really providential that it happened during this week, because now I've been confessing all week to God. Uh, God, I was angry with you because this thing happened to me, but I want to love you no matter what. So what the contract fell through? You haven't changed at all. Uh, and I want to love you no matter what, even though uh, something uh, bad has happened to me. I want to love him as much in adversity as I do in prosperity. And not because of what he gives to me, but because of who he is. And so I've been convicted by Stephen uh, this week because he's about to be killed and he could not love God more. And I pray that that's the same uh, for us. Even in the face of death, he was full of grace, wisdom, truth, power in the Holy Spirit. And I'm trying to resolve to do the same no matter what. And I pray that you will do the same as well. Love God in the face of adversity. And finally, speak truth and let God handle all the details. What did I ask in the beginning? What do we do when we're faced with adversity? Uh, when the world tries to shout down our message, when the world doesn't want to hear what they say, uh, what we have to say, what do we do? What do we say? Well, we just speak the truth and we let God handle uh, the details, just like Stephen did. Uh, the world will oppose us. The world will not like our message, even increasingly in our culture. Uh, the world will oppose us, or they will misunderstand us. Uh, the world will call us names. The world may lay hands on us. The world may even kill us. What do we do? We speak the truth. We let God handle where the chips will fall, uh, and we follow Stephen's model. We have courage. We stand firm and we give people the words that the Holy Spirit has, to, has given to us. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for this message. We thank you for this scripture. We thank you for giving us Stephen, who was just a model of courage after he was a model of, of wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit to preach the word, Lord. He did not let anything hold him back, even though he faced death, Lord. And we want to be those kinds of Christians. Lord, it's not likely that we will face death for the message that we preach, but we will face hostility, Lord, and, and increasingly so. Uh, the young people in our uh, congregation here uh, have a long time left to live, and I would expect that they're going to face a lot of hostility over the next 40, 50, 60 years as they carry this message, Lord. And, and I pray that you would give them the courage uh, to stand up, to be bold in the face of the adversity that they're going to face, which will be greater than the adversity that our generation will face. Lord, the apostles prayed for boldness in Acts chapter 4. I pray that we would ask for it and receive it as well. I pray that we would go on preaching the message that you would have us preach, Lord, uh, even though uh, the world may not want to hear it, because you have people out there who need to hear it, Lord, and you have people out there who will be saved by the words that we say. Give us the power and strength, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.